We are here at the, the end of the, the church year, and it's customary to take at least one Sunday at the end of the year to, to orient, to, be, to think together, to look into the Word, to, to test ourselves. Are we oriented to Christ the King? How do we see that? And in a country like ours... It's, diff it's different in other, other lands, perhaps, but in a country like ours, when there's so much wealth, one of the great tests for us is, what are we doing with what has been given to us? And I love that Thanksgiving falls this week. It doesn't always fall here uh, for us. Sometimes it's the week before. Last week, we looked together at God's grace to ancient Israel in giving them a way of life together, a way of living together that would reveal his design for human beings, his plan, a shared life with God at the center. And he was literally, tangibly at the center in the temple. But he also he gave them seasons and celebrations. He gave them rhythms of work and feast, work and rest, and all of those rhythms, all of the, the patterns reinforce the truth of their dependence on him. And it helped them also feel and enjoy his goodness. Feel and enjoy the goodness of coming to him, worshiping him, being near to him in the temple. Because we remembered, right, that they did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. If they wanted to draw near to God, they had to take their bodies to the temple. And there they could feel close to him, his nearness. We saw, too, that a core part of enjoying life together and experiencing God's goodness came through tithes. For us who clutch, it's surprising. By bringing tithes, which were signs tokens of all that they had by bringing that tenth part they tangibly expressed their thanks their reliance on God the owner and the giver of all things they acknowledged you are the giver of all bringing tithes for worship it also brought to them the gift of worship his gift to them requiring them to come into his presence. To bring the gift meant, enjoy me. That was a gift from him. So it wasn't to diminish what they had. It was to bless them with what was better, him. It kept them from putting their trust in their own efforts or trusting in their possessions because it brought them to him. All this was in the law. This, we looked at this last week. God set it down as the plan for his people. If they kept it, if, which they did not, but if they had followed, uh, they would internalize the truths that the law was pointing to. The rule of God. Their dependence on him. His kindness and his grace. His willingness to provide all that they need. And the truth that his values, his design, his way, 
is better than anything the world offers if they had followed it. But it was always God's plan from creation for human beings to have truth part of us. Not just set down for us, but in us, part of us. So what Adam and Eve rejected and lost, inward knowledge of truth, God's very truth in them, would be renewed. That was always his plan, truth in us. There would be a new creation, new man, new woman, human beings to enjoy a, a renewed self. So the time of the law and that external guidance would end. It would come to an end because the fulfillment would come. Truth back inside of us. God said through Jeremiah, in the days of the law, I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more will every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. No more will there be these, these external compulsions for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. By coming personally in Christ Jesus, God brought this into being. He brought the new man, the new creation into being. He was the second Adam. Human flesh, fully human flesh, full knowledge of the truth. What Adam and Eve lost Jesus brought back into the created order. And he brought back what we're supposed to be. And then dying for sin, he not only offered forgiveness to, to all who would accept his sacrifice and put their trust in his sacrifice, but he also gives the new creation. He gives the restored human life that he had brought to the earth. He gives to us. That restored life we were designed for. And so rather than having to follow the external guidance of the law, which was good, we want to we follow the scripture, affirm. The law was good, but rather than follow that external guidance of the law in order to enjoy his goodness, he puts truth himself right into us right inside us. And one of the results is that the principles of the law, that external guidance, become intuitive to us. It, it makes sense to us. The principles the law was pointing to seem right. They resonate. God's people can just know. We can just know what pleases him. If we want to please him. If that's not our priority, we won't just know. So if our goal is to know God, if you want to know God, and we read his word, his spirit will guide us in knowing and understanding. He will guide us to know the truth because it's there in us. Now, the single most important truth 
because there is one. And it's the truth under which all other truths nestle and find their rest and find their place is that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Apart from this, no other bit of truth will matter in the end. All those other bits of truth. So, for example, it, it's true that it's good to be kind to neighbors. If you want to get along with people, it's good to be kind. It's true. It's true that we should honor our parents. That's always been seen, always been known. It works well. That we should be honest and love justice. Those things work. It's true that we should not take more than we can use. That we should seek the good of others. That we should take care of the earth. Those are all true. Those are part of God's design. It's common grace. It's known around the world. Natural law. It's what C.S. Lewis called the Tao. It's just there, sown. But without Christ as Lord, without Jesus Christ as Lord over all these things, those lesser truths will just die with us. They will improve earthly life. You can have, there are nations that function well according to those truths. They can improve our lives. They improve society. They'll even take the edge off our guilt. But they can't give the soul power to walk across the river at the end of life. They can't atone for sin. Seeking justice, loving my neighbor, honoring my parents does not atone for sin. Sin against the eternal king. Those truths can't give back the eternal life that we lost. It can't give, the, can't give us the divine life that brings us into his eternal family. So it's here Amongst those truths, that tithing, the giving, sits for us under the rubric, under the rule of Christ as king. Last week, at the end of the message, I noted that there's, in the New Testament, there is no explicit command to tithe. And many people are relieved by that. It is true. There are also no commands about how often to pray, or, or rather I should say, which ways to pray as you pray without ceasing, because you pray without ceasing. There are no specific commands about how often to join in worship, how often the body of Christ should come together. No specific ones. No specific commands about which feasts of the church to observe. What you should pay pastors how many pastors you should have on a staff. There are no commands about what kinds of hymns and spiritual songs to sing. You're supposed to sing them. Which kinds? At the Reformation, some branches of the church decided to uh, 
do away with every church practice that was not explicitly commanded in the New Testament. So they stopped having church weddings. Did away with wedding rings. They stopped celebrating Christmas and Easter. They cleared church meetings of all signs and symbols, including crosses, stripped it all bare. They removed musical instruments. Not explicitly commanded. In other words, they missed the, the, a recurring message in the New Testament from all the apostles that the Holy Spirit will teach His people. He'll teach us how to live as the new covenant people of God. It doesn't have to be explicitly commanded in the apostolic writings. The Spirit does His work because His living and active Word is sharper than a double-edged sword. All of His Word. Because in the Hebrews, that, that phrase, His Word, living and active, was referring to the Old Testament. All of His Word, old and new, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. His Spirit is given to guide us into all truth so that we'll no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we'll be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we'll know His pleasing and perfect will the Spirit given to us to help us know how, as the new covenant people of God, we are to take the principles of the old and live them out together. It's a gift we've been given. And this transformation, it's the same, it's the same transformation and the same will of God that the written law was pointing to but was unable to bring about because of sin. All this we're taught in the scriptures. So what are we saying? What are we saying? That just because there's no explicit command to do something in the New Testament itself doesn't mean that God has left us without wisdom about it. We are not the Puritans. We wear wedding, wing, wedding wings. <laughs> We, we have weddings, we celebrate Christmas, we have symbols. God has left us with wisdom. Reading the whole Bible with the Holy Spirit, the church can have principles to live by as the new covenant people of God. If we're attentive, what we see is that God is consistent. He is unchanging. He is very consistent with what he has taught his people from all time. And with his spirit, we find that what was commanded for Israel, what was given in law, commanded, enforced, required, becomes opportunity, not command, but opportunity for joy for us. Set free from stricture, we have opportunity 
Hear how Jesus teaches it. We should pay attention generally, I think, yes, to what Jesus teaches. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. What is he talking about here? The gift, the gift to the needy. That could be either a free will offering or it can be one of the tithes. I'm talking about the law. The law required every three years for an additional tithe to be given. To it. There's, there's the annual tithe. Every three years, another tenth was added to it for the needy. Or he may be referring to free will offerings and these were supposed to be expressions of thanks for God's abundant blessings. So like last week we talked about, if your flock bore twins. Well, the Lord has been gracious. Free will offerings are a response to his gracious blessings. If there's a great harvest, we respond with free will offerings. The Pharisees had turned this into a health and wealth gospel. So what they, they had... They made a way to brag about uh, their wealth, that God had favored them. And so what they did, sounding the trumpets, is see what I'm giving? It's because I'm good, and God likes me that I have these blessings. I am wealthy and healthy because God favors me. But Jesus says, if that's what you want, if it's human honor that you want, that's what your offerings will get you. You have it. Your heart won't be blessed with the joy of the Lord. You won't have the reward that these offerings were meant to give you. You'll have one that dies. So Jesus, he provides a way of thinking about giving that I find pretty shocking. Even further, he says, not only is it good for us to give without public acknowledgement. But once you give, don't reckon it up, the left hand and right hand. Don't reckon it up for self-congratulations. We have at least one accountant in this congregation. He's not saying, he's not saying be a sloppy steward and ignore accounting. No, we are taught in the scriptures to be careful with our to be good stewards. But his point in this moment is about reward. Whose approval that you seek? And we can seek our own approval. Just as we can blow the trumpet in public, we can blow the trumpet internally. Don't seek your own approval. You're not the king. So don't do anything, including giving, to prop yourself up in anyone's eyes including your own eyes. 
And we, as we saw clearly last week, what we do with our wealth, what we do with our finances, reveals our faith. It reveals where, where we put our faith. And so if you want to feel... If we want to feel good about ourselves, we may give in order to reassure ourselves, I'm, I'm a good guy. Look, see how I give? I'm doing it in secret. Nobody else knows, but, but I know. I'm a good guy. And so what he's saying is, that, that's the point about don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. For your own sake, don't reckon it up for self-congratulation. There's only one king and lord. And he is not us. It's to him that all things are due. All praise, all honor, all thanks, all obedience, all possessions are his. And that, this is where Jesus' teaching in Matthew 6 leads. So he, he makes those statements. Then he directs them how to pray to the Lord, including fasting and being open to him. And then he says... Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This business about the eye in the middle there, it's through what your eye looks to, what we direct our attention to, where we fix our attention, that is how we express our faith. Our faith is in the thing that we attend to. So our eye, our attention, is the lamp of our body. What we attend to is what we seek to be guided by. It's where we put our trust. And you can't look with faith toward two masters, he says. You can't lean with faith in two opposite directions. Like you, you can't, you know, faith, you can't put your trust, lean into two opposite things. There's only one of you. So you can't love and serve and be devoted to God and also wealth. He is so gracious with his consistent messaging. Otherwise, we might get very confused. The good that the law sought to enforce, sought to put in place so that the people could flourish, Christ awakens in us with freedom and gives us a goodwill towards. He's made us eternal. He's given us souls that are alive. He made us for everlasting life so that we enjoy him forever. And so he wants us 
to enjoy the beautiful and delightful fruit of sowing what will last. Sow towards what will last. Put our energy toward what will last. Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, that will abide forever. Money, possessions, wealth, these are tools. They're tools for us. Tools that he puts into our hands to live out what it looks like to be a faithful people. People who trust God together. People who trust him as our provider. People who live lives oriented to him. So not by worshiping created things, if we're tempted to do, but putting our weight fully on God. When we do that, we enjoy a different kind of life. We enjoy the different kind of life of new creation. We get a unique joy. There's a joy that's available only to kingdom people. And that's the reward, that, the fruit. And we get to enjoy that fruit now. The joy of trusting God and finding him faithful. We lean on him. And we find that he's there when we lean. Finally, though, and also, when we give, we're not primarily investing in earthly reward. There is earthly reward, though. It, it, when, when we live this way, it works. It's part of how we're designed. When we uh, use our finances with trust, with stewardship, he blesses that. But that's not primarily uh, why we give, why we follow his ways, but primarily we sow for eternal reward. That's our orientation, is everlasting life. And we don't even know what those rewards will be. I, I could speculate. We don't know, though, how we are rewarded for faithfulness. But Jesus says frequently there will be rewards. He will give them. So it, it doesn't mean we won't have earthly benefits for the good use of money. People who are good at making money... Do it. You should do that. That's part of faithfulness for you. I'm a disaster. I do not make money well. That is not a gift for me. But some of you have that gift. You should. It's part of your faithful obedience. But hold on to the principle, as we see by reading the law with the Spirit, when he causes our flocks to bear twins, he caused our flocks to bear twins. It's for the good of his whole community. It's for his honor, and he should be honored. So what we're saying here is giving sits under the central truth that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. It's part of our acknowledgement that Jesus is Lord. He is our life. He is our hope. He is the owner of all things. He's the giver of all good things. And so to glorify him, 
To know him will mean trusting him in tangible ways. As, as we've said frequently, we can trust him theoretically. I can trust him all day theoretically. We can go about our normal ways without, without ever stop, stopping to ask ourselves where our treasure is. It's when we do things with our treasure that we realize where our trust is. Couples, married couples, you can fall into ruts and, and not revisit our family practice. How does our family practice express that Jesus is Lord? And we can find that, wow, we, we're just doing it theoretically. We are a theoretical Christian couple. A sermon like this, that's why we do it periodically, is meant to provide opportunity for conversation, for that revisiting. How are we oriented? How as a household, if you're a single, how is, as a household, how am I oriented towards the kingdom? You are free, hear it, you are free to tithe or not. You are free to give tiny tokens. You are free to give large tokens. I don't know who gives and who doesn't. It's part of our polity. I don't know. But hear this message. God has designed us so that using wealth and possessions with him in mind helps us love him. Using possessions with him in mind helps us know him. Teaches us he is the provider. He is the giver. He is the king. And Mal the prophet Malachi so said so clearly, where's my honor? If I'm a king, why do you give me the worst stuff? You treat your masters like that? You treat your own king like that? You treat a parent like that? If I am a king, where's my honor? That's a principle the Spirit teaches us to live out in, as a new covenant people of God. Um, last thing. Uh, we want to live like this by households, but we're also a household of faith. For the first uh, 11 years of our existence, so as a mission and then uh, as an independent congregation, we have always given away dollar for dollar in our budget as much as we spend on ourselves. Not a tithe, 50% we give. I'm not saying you should give 50%, but I, what I want you to know is as a people, that's been a commitment for us. Um, the Lord puts into our hands wealth that we might steward it. And because we've been faithful, he is, we've never been in the red. We've always been able to do that, give with that kind of abundant generosity. And what it, what it has done for us, it's taught us to trust him. It's taught us that he is a provider and he is faithful to, deli to, faithful to deliver. And he uses those gifts to connect us to his global church. That giving, giving builds relationship. It builds love.
where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our heart is as much in Rwanda as it is here because we sow there. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that you give us. And thank you, too, for the freedom. Uh, we, we thank you that we do not labor under trying to earn your love by giving. What a relief. Your love is steadfast and good and pure. You cannot be bribed. You cannot be bought. Praise you, Lord. I pray that we might enjoy the freedom that you give us to trust you with everything. That we can function with generosity because you're a generous God. In Jesus' name.